Amen. Well, good morning. Great to see you. Good to be back. Uh, for those of you who are just uh, visiting, I've been away uh, last Sunday and Zach preached, although I did listen to his sermon uh, from Tanzania that evening. I was sat there in the restaurant and, uh, and Zach was right there with me. So that was very nice while I was eating crocodile. So um, just joking. Uh, it was wildebeest. Uh, but... Absolutely uh, wonderful. So well done, Zach. And, um, and it was great to, um, to listen to you. You survived. Did he, did he do okay? Uh, somebody wrote to me and said he really needs to write a book on worship. He's got so much to give and so much. So that is, um, that is absolutely fantastic. And I'm really, um, really blessed. And uh, so thank you for your prayers. Of course, uh, I got back yesterday evening, having traveled 44 hours, uh, six flights, 15 security checks. 13 of those were just getting out of Tanzania. And, and then uh, traveling from, um, from Mwanza to Kilimanjaro, from Kilimanjaro to Nairobi, from Nairobi to Frankfurt, from Frankfurt to London, from London to Vancouver, and from Vancouver to Kelowna. Uh, and, uh, and it took the longest to get the bags from Kelowna. I wanted to say, don't you know, I've just come from Africa. <laughs> Can't you just speed it along a bit, you know? But uh, thank you for your prayers and for your kindness and for your goodness. As many of you know, I went on that trip to... Um, press a reset button on a trust that I've been involved in for over 25 years with other partners from around the world and uh, attempt to bring uh, the governmental changes that we uh, feel as uh, trustees and members and the international community thought was really important to bring. It did not always go as smoothly as, as it, I would have liked, uh, but I met a lot of very important people, the regional governor, sat with him, uh, officials and different officials and another official and this official. Oh, I'm exhausted. Uh, but yes, but at the end of it, you know, we do have um, a plan going forward and we do have um, uh, actually a, a proposal now on the table that we would hoped we would have sorted out while we were there in, in the country. But um, it looks like we won't. We'll sort it out while we're here. Uh, and, and a lot of decisions will need to be made as well. So thank you for your prayers. We are, our, bet, our battle is not not against flesh and blood, right? It's against the principalities and the powers. And we're in a spiritual battle. And so to have you praying for that journey, for that spiritual battle, and being so interested and so involved and so invested as you came in and spoke to me and wanted a full report. Um, and I'll get to that. But, uh, but at the end of the day, just want to remind you, uh, Jesus wins. 
Uh, and, and sometimes what we can forget, that Jesus wins, revelation and the return of Jesus. So how are we going to manage this series? We're going to manage six teachings up until towards Easter, and then uh, we'll celebrate Easter, and then we will uh, continue with uh, the Jesus Wins theme uh, and, and move on, I believe, with a, a number of weeks about G- some practical areas areas of Jesus wins communities, Jesus wins hearts, uh, Jesus wins the lost, and, and just the quipping time after Easter, and then we're going to step back into the book of Revelation. But it's a combination of the book of Revelation and of the teachings of the, of the New Testament and the Old Testament and the prophecies that teach about the coming of Jesus Christ. You see, a lot of people today want to take the Bible and they want to chop it all up. They want to detach the Old Testament from the New Testament. But you see, the problem is you can't detach the Old Testament from the New Testament because the covenants of God, the Edomic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Divinic covenant, the New Covenant are linked together right the way to the new creation at the end of Revelations. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, these covenants link us together and bring us on a journey that God promised and promised that he would redeem this world. He would redeem us as a people and he would take us out of the slavery of sin and death and bring us into life. Now, if you try and chop the Bible up and you try and dis- decouple the Old Testament covenants from the New Testament covenants and you try and say, well, you know, I just focus on, on the red letters of Jesus and everything else is fine. No, this is in the inspired word of God. And as much as there are prophecies about the coming of Christ the first time, the prophecies that deal with the subject of, of the manger, that deal with the birth of the child, that deal with the Virgin Mary, that deal with Christmas. There are as many other prophecies in the same text, in the same books that are literally, and if you take Christmas as literal, we have to look at other prophecies and say, yes, and we don't just say, well, yes, of course, this is Christmas prophecies, the coming of the sun the first time and this is the second coming, and we take that more metaphorically. No, you either approach the Bible one way as the truth of the word of God, or you don't. And I want to remind you that we want to approach it in the way of the truth of the word of God. That yes, that Jesus wins. So at times we'll be uh, working our way through the book of Revelation, but in context, As we look at the book of Revelation, we'll be looking at the other works of what Jesus said, of course, uh, in in the Gospels, of what the prophets made and how they spoke, and we'll be working our way through. Now, of course, the way that the Revelations should be read is out loud. And if you get an opportunity, I think it takes about 45 minutes or so to read from one end of the book to the other. Let me remind you that the central verse that we understand as the key verse is, is, is Revelations 12 and verse 11. 
And of course, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. If you want to understand the central theme that explodes from the book of Revelation, then look at chapter 12 and verse 11. They triumphed over him. Who? Over, yes, the dragon. Over, yes, the forces of darkness. Over, yes, over all the imagery that we're going to unpack and going to look at as we go through these weeks. And we certainly can't do it in one sermon. And having traveled uh, 44 hours... Uh, I would be asleep as well as you. Uh, but, but he triumphed over him. How? By the blood of the Lamb. We are always victorious as we look at the world, as we look at the future, by understanding that all that Christ purchased on the cross, we are triumphant by the blood of the Lamb. Secondly, we understand and, and by the testimony of of their testimony, our testimony, the believers. We are part of this. It's by our testimony, by our belief, by what we know that Jesus Christ has done and exceed within our lives. And did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. That in actually, at the end of the day, we know that our victory is in Christ, and even in death, there is victory. Even in death, there is resurrection. Even in death, there is eternal life. So when you think about end times, and you think about the battle, you've got to remind ourselves that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb, that we have overcome by the power of Jesus, that we have overcome by that, and we understand that. So when you look at the book of Revelation and you start to look at eschatology, which is the study of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, how do you start to understand this? How do we tackle what has been, you know, a book of mysterious, of often um, mystical, a book that is quoted? How do we understand this book? Well, first of all, the the pastor, bishop, leader of the church, John, the disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who loved him and followed him so much, is making one, it makes one amazing statement. It's actually saying that, that, that the reality of which we all experience is with our senses, with our eyes, with our ears, with our smell, with our taste, with the world that we live in. Actually, there is an alternative reality that exists in the cosmos here. Beyond our physical reality, there is a spiritual reality that exists and that there is a battle. And what John so incredibly does, he takes the reality of all of, of this imagery and symbols and, and ideas and takes us on an incredible journey of introducing us to amazing themes and amazing ideas and amazing uh, vision and imagery of, of this world beyond what we actually see and hear now. We mustn't shy away from the imagery. We must embrace the imagery because it's speaking about 
people and times and events and what is taking place. Even John himself says, well, who's this when he sees this vision? And what's that? What is going on? What is taking place in the book of Revelation? He goes, he himself is on a journey saying, I don't understand. Well, who is this? Who are there? Who are these multitudes? And and what is going on at this moment? And who are these people? And his senses are alive and vibrant. But the central theme of the book of Revelation is this. Who are you worshipping? That is the central theme. Who are you worshipping? What are you following? Who are you worshipping with all of your heart, with all of your desires? What is driving you? What is central? Who is number one within your life? Is number one Babylon? who is referred to again and again and again? Is it Babylon with all its seduction? Is it Babylon with all of its power, with all of its wealth, with all of its influence? Is it Babylon that is is drawing us, is holding us, is bringing us away from loving the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is it the Lamb of God? You see, on one, one level, you have Babylon throughout the book of Revelation. And Babylon, with its seduction, with its wealth, with its power, with its desires. And on the other hand, you have the Lamb of God. Babylon gives us those desires. The Lamb of God gives us life that changes for the whole of eternity. So it's about, who are you? Is it Babylon John is trying to say to us through the text, or is it actually Jesus? Is it all about Jesus? It's about what Jesus does. It's about how Jesus works. Is it, put in another way, is it about, you know, um, the beast with all the seduction, or the lamb, the Babylon, or Jerusalem, you see? So you've got these, is it about, about, what? Where is your focus is? Where is your life in this? Who, what is driving you? What is there? You might think, as I introduce this book to you and, and the theme of eschatology, you might think that it's, you know, about persecution. That the real theme is about persecution, about tribulation, about problems, about the difficulty. We've always gone through Tribulation. There has been difficulty, always. There's difficulty for the church right now, globally. There is pain and there is suffering. You might think that it's all about persecution. Actually, what John really cares about is this. Complacency. Complacency. See, why would one preach about revelations and why would one preach about the second coming and why would one do this? Well, very simply, it's to wake us up. You see, the book of Revelation uh, is, is not just about persecution, it's about being complacent, about being a complacent people, about allowing ourselves to be drawn away from the glory of who Jesus is and what Jesus does in our lives. It's about, because actually, if you take the book of Revelation and you take the canon of Scripture, 
There is nothing new theologically in the book of Revelation that we don't learn from the rest of Scripture. And that's important. And we understand that that everything we want to know is also in the whole of Scripture. But what is so different about this? So you don't learn anything particularly new theologically. It's not that the book of Revelation holds something that the rest of the Bible forgot. Because the themes and the ideas and the concepts run all the way through the whole of the canon of Scripture and through the whole of the Bible. No, but what Revelation does, it wakes us up. It brings the theology we know and it brings a life to us. And believe me, in this day and age where the church seems to be falling asleep, where Christians are losing their faith, where they are struggling, it is time for us to wake up. It's time for us to wake up. And he wanted these churches to wake up. He wanted them to imagine The Lord gave this as a gift for us, for our imagination, that we may become vividly imagine and see things, the things we know. We always know there's a battle between light and darkness. We know there is a kingdom of God and the kingdom of life. We know that there is an enemy. We know that we're in a battle spiritually. We know that through scripture. And yet when we see it portrayed as a dragon rising up out of the darkness, when you see it portrayed as a beast with seven heads and ten horns arriving, boy, that wakes you up, doesn't it? And you go, wow. And, and this is what, you've got mail. It's 96 AD. We were studying the last few months a book that was written in 42 AD. And now we're in a book that is probably been written in 96 AD, at least around that period. And what was taking place, Jerusalem had been destroyed. The temple was gone. The church was moving to its second um, kind of generation. They were downtrodden. They were struggling. It was hard to be a Christian. You were irrelevant. You were marginalized. You were persecuted. And suddenly the Lord, through the power of inspiration, spoke to John and gave us a mail, gave us a letter. It is primarily a letter that should wake us up. You've got mail and let me refocus you. This is the truth that is going on. Wake up church. Wake up your faith. Wake up your belief. Wake up and move. Michelle said to me this morning, because I I left her in England, she said, um, um, oh, I had a really nice time with a friend of ours and and she, you know, gave me a little word about about wake up. I said, oh, oh, that's nice. She said, uh, and I've been praying and journaling and I've been uh, listening to the Lord about this. And I really, have you ever thought about waking up, that we've got to wake up? And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, I have actually. Because this morning I'm going to tell the church to wake up. She goes, really? I said, yeah. She said, I've got so much to tell you that the Lord's given me all about this wake up, about waking up. But isn't it true? that? And she said, you're probably just going to preach it anyway. I don't know. She hasn't heard my sermon and I haven't had time to talk to her about what she was journaling. But this is something that is on the heart of the nation and the church in Canada that we're in danger of falling asleep. And it's time for us to wake up. 
It's time for us to understand. Babylon is there, yes. Jerusalem is there, the spiritual home, yes. The beast is present, of course, with seduction, always. And the Lamb of God is there declaring the life of Jesus Christ. It's AD 96. It is AD 96 and the Roman Empire is trying to assert itself. It's AD 96 and Emperor Demetrius, he is on the throne. He is an insecure, driven son of Vesperus, who Vesperus was the emperor before. And of course, he wants to be worshipped. And there he declares to the whole of the empire, I am the eternal God. I am the eternal one. All of the empire must worship me. You must go there and you must put your pinch of uh, altar. The way that it worked, you had the altar, you had the emperor. He was declared king of kings and lord of lords. He was declared the creator. He was declared the mighty one. And he is there. And of John the pastor, John the preacher, John the bishop, he would not. And he would not take his little bit of incense and go and conform and put it into the bowl at the, at the foot of the emperor. And of course, he was removed and taken to the Isle of Patmos, basically a penal colony where they, they dug stones and made stonework and so on. And it was there on this Isle of Patmos where he was digging stones, where he was in exile, where all the enemies of the Roman Empire went, that the Lord came to him and said, I want you to wake up the church to the realities that there is a beast, that there is a, an empire, that there is darkness, that there is evil. I want you to see things in a different way because the church needs waking up. So, as we understand that we've got to challenge ourselves, it's, it's so full of imagery. You know, the first few chapters, chapters one to four, you have the moment where they see the lampstands, the seven lampstands of the seven churches with the seven stars, and one who seems like the Son of Man present there talking about the church. And then... In chapter 4, we suddenly see a throne and we see four great creatures that are covered in eyes and they're moving and they're flapping. These mysterious creatures are present and there at the moment. It's amazing. Chapter 5, we see another throne and there we see a lamb that seems to be slain on the throne. And there we see the, um, the seven horns and the seven eyes and we see this throne. Then suddenly in chapter 12, we see a woman and she is a woman who shines like the sun. And as she is present, she gives birth to a child, but a red dragon appears and comes and arrives and tries to consume that child. And then we see out of the sea arises a great beast and this beast has seven heads, 10 horns, comes out of the sea. And then we see yet a, a one like a, a, a sheep that comes out of the ground, a beast like a sheep with two horns who speaks like a dragon. 
And then we see that that's in chapter 13. And then, of course, in chapter 17, we see another woman, a second woman arrive. And she arrives riding the seven-headed beast with the ten horns. And she's holding a cup of abomination. And she's speaking blasphemy. So who is this woman? Who is that woman? And she is riding. And then chapter 21, we see the descent of the bride of Christ and the glory of God and the city of God and the temple of the city of the Lord descending upon, upon and the glory of God as it arrives. Wow. You just break those down and you start to see this is a pretty busy book. A lot of things are going on. It's exciting. Not only is that, but time shifts from stage to stage. It's like windows when you start to read it. And we'll go all through this and I explain the different windows. And you see this window because sometimes something is yet to happen. But another one, like chapter 12 of the woman appearing that shines like a sun and there gives birth and the dragon comes, has already happened. Of course it has happened. Who shone? Who came with a baby? And that baby was tried to be consumed. That was the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ that came into the world. So you start to understand what each of these pictures mean. Of what, what, the, what the way the writer is writing is saying, you know, beasts are, are, are not only individuals and peoples and floods and earthquakes are events in history and numbers represent things and so on. It is quite beautiful. But as I highlight it to you and explain it, what Jesus wants you to know and why Jesus came and gave John the revelation is that he does not want us to be complacent. He does not want us to be asleep. He wants to wake his church up. And the question always is, who are you truly worshiping? So when we look at scriptures and we look at the teachings of Jesus in light of this, Knowing the season. And of course, this is important because we need to know the season of what is taking place. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angel in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. So no one knows the day. Nobody knows the hour. Nobody knows. I mean, lots of people have told us when it's going to happen on what particular date. And often, um, you know, they are often to be evangelists. And I won't mention their nationality, but from America. And, and <laughs> just joking. But it's true, you know, we're waiting for this day. You see this day. No one knows the day or the hour. And therefore, it, it, honestly, this then ties us up to say, <coughs> well, we just don't know then. Uh, it's not strictly true. Jesus taught that we may not know the day or the time or the hour, but Jesus did teach we know the season. And it's important that we understand seasons, that there is a season. He likens it, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the sons, but only the Father, Son. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage 
up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. There will be so much ignorance. And yet in the middle of this culture where they were building the ark, the ark, and it never rained, was the biggest testimony that something is going on and taking place. But people ignored it. People didn't see it. And even in today's world and in today's church, we've become agnostic about the reality of an alternative reality of what God is doing and the battle that is taking place globally that is happening within the world. And it's like we just carry on with life. And in the middle, there is this ark. There is this church. There is the decoration of Jesus Christ that is telling the world, hey world, wake up because God is coming. The Lord is returning in the way that he returned at Christmas. He will return again and the trumpet will sound and the clouds will open and Jesus will return. So you've got to be able to understand the season. Now, of course, in Matthew chapter 24, he talks about wars and rumors of wars. He talks about earthquakes. He talks about diseases. He talks about famines. He talks about these. And he uses the phrase, this is the birth pains. The point being, the birth pains, these things have always been with us. They have always been with us. But what Jesus is actually saying is, like the birth of a child, as you move towards that moment, the pains become more and more frequently, and you know something is going to happen, right? And part of us understanding what is happening is about looking at the season and actually asking ourselves, are things changing? Are things happening? Is there a season? But what is our response if things are changing? What is our response if there is a seasonal change? What is our response if we feel the contractions of what is happening within the world and we feel, yes, the season is changing? What is our response? Our response is to wake up. Our response is to pray. Our response is to be on fire for Jesus. Our response is not to be complacent. Our response, like the book of Revelation, is to captivate our whole imagination with the glory of Jesus Christ. That is our response, to be full of Jesus, to allow him to come in this way. Now learn this lesson, said earlier, from the fig tree. As soon as the twigs get tender and the leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know it is near right at the door. So he's saying, you don't know the time, you don't know the day, you don't know the hour, but you know that there is season that things are changing. And we always have to ask ourselves, is this the season? Is this the season? Is there a change that is happening that is the season that is taking place? And what is my response to that season? Well, I know that the Lord wants me to be faithful. I know that the Lord wants me to wake up. I know that the Lord wants me to be motivated. I know that the Lord wants me to be dedicated. 
I know that the response to the second coming of the Jesus Christ for the church is that we are motivated, that we are faithful, that we are awake, that we are dedicated, that we are not found in shame, but we are found ready and waiting and available and watching to see what God is doing. The most important position you and I can be found in is in faithfulness. In commitment, in my walk. And as we get into symbols and signs and numbers and meanings and so on, all that is wonderful. It's there to reinvigorate your spiritual life so you are not a dull Christian, but you are an awake Christian. That you are there. So, like the fig tree, you see the leaves. And, and, and at this time, in our world, so many people are saying, what is going on? What is taking place? Because you are called to give an account. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day of Noah entering the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be uh, grinding with the handmill and one will be taken and the other left. The point is, it's about being ready. It's about understanding that in one moment, things shift. And in another moment, something happens. But the, your position is being faithful. Your position is being dedicated. Your position is being alive in Jesus. Your position is that you are faithful and you are following. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know what day your Lord will come. Keep watch. Always keep watch. You know, you can, you can get very caught up with kind of, kind of guessing and thinking. It's about the heart here, about keeping watch. So wake up, church. And this is the passage I want to bring your attention to for the moments here. To the angel of the church in Sardis writes, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished. In the sight of my God, remember Therefore, what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come to you like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. You noticed that the main theme here captures the main theme of what I want to communicate to you at the beginning of this series who are you worshipping? What are you living for? Are you living in complacency? Are you living asleep? Has the world and problems and relationships and conflicts, have they robbed you of your spiritual energy and joy of the Lord?
Are you like the church in Sardis? Am I? I appear to be alive, but really the truth is I'm dead and I need to be renewed. I need to be alive. I need to grow again. I need to, I need to start again. I need to be alive. Strengthen what remains, what is within you. Build it and strengthen it. It is about to die, so get it to life. I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold fast. Repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. This is a sobering word to the church of Sardis. And this is what the Bishop John wants to make them understand. Please wake up. Please don't be complacent about your faith. Please seek his face. Wake up and see what is taking place. As all the parables teach, after a long time, the master of those servants return and settle the account. We know after the Matthew 24, he gives the parable of the virgins. That they have no oil or they're asleep or so on. The real point of that is that they're not ready. They're not ready to receive the return. They're not ready and we have to be ready in our hearts and our lives and be urgent and have a sense of newness about our Christian faith. He then talks about the talents that you've been given gifts and you need to be motivated and you're going to be judged on your motivation. I'm going to be judged on my motivation and on my deeds. And we have to be there. And as we finish, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that in each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done, while in the body, whether good or bad. This is by way of introduction. And I was very close to heaven because most of it was written at 35,000 feet. And as I was memorizing and, and thinking about the scenes and going through the book and starting to map it all out, the one theme was wake up. Don't be complacent. Be ready. Be faithful. Be motivated. Be alive. Your imagination, my spiritual imagination, my heart, we need to be revitalized with a fresh passion for Christ and all that he's going to do. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, We come to you now. And Lord, we pray. Right where we are at this moment, wake up. Lord, we pray that you will come and revive us as a church as we go on this journey through this wonderful book. 
and understand the spiritual implications. I pray, Lord, you will forgive us for being complacent. Forgive us for being asleep. Forgive us where we have not been faithful with our talents. Forgive us where we've not been prepared in our hearts to be the best people, the best church. We know the way is always back through repentance in our own lives. And Lord, we repent now. We thank you for the beautiful images of the lampstands, of the throne, of the beasts, of the eyes, of the horns, of the woman that shines like the sun, of the beast rising up out of the ocean, of the lamb that comes with two thorns, two horns that speaks like a dragon. Thank you for the woman that rides the beast and we know that there is victory in the Jesus Christ even though all around us there is blasphemy, blasphemy all around us. And the abomination in the cup and we thank you that there is a shining glorious city that will descend from glory and that you have called us to be the bride with the bridegroom in that city. Wake us, Lord, I pray, our church. Help us, Lord, to see the season and the battle and to believe in our hearts and revive us, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, in this final moments of our gathering. And as over the weeks to come, we unpack these scriptures and we unpack these images, these symbols. We may say, who is this and what is that? Even as John did. And may you speak to us clearly, I ask, in the name of Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and revive us in this season. Come, Lord, and let us be filled with your love and imagination. Thank you, Jesus.